Hi, this is Mia. And this is Tina. And you're listening to Yeah, No, the podcast about starting a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, I feel super duper. <laughs> I'm so slow. You drink alcohol, and in the moment that you're doing it, it's really fantastic, but the next day just sucks. <sighs> Especially when we had to get up so early to do this yeah. podcast. I went all out last night. I was like, let's go tequila time, and now... I am so glad I didn't do that. Tequila after time is oh, not no. good. I had a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last night we had that discussion, a really heated discussion about collaboration. Was it that heated? I think the heat came from your vodka. <laughs> from My your Manhattan. Yeah, from your Manhattan. My winter martini. Yeah, let's talk about collaboration. I thought it was very interesting. You know, it dawned on me that people have some very... Um, what I believe are wrong assumptions about collaboration. Romantic notions about collaboration being more spontaneous, I think. Equal, harmonious, um, that you just get together in a room and major beautiful ideas start flying out. Yeah, and I think that it's also important to remember that too much homogeny is does not make a good collaboration. Oh my god, it's the worst. And but there's a certain amount of shared vision, shared goal that needs to exist, right? Yeah, you have to take some responsibility, right? That yeah. you're a player in the collaboration. Yeah. But you're also learning from that experience and not just in a way where you learn from all your experiences, but more like you're gaining knowledge by being around your collaborators. And I think that that makes a successful collaboration. Yeah. It's a really important ingredient of collaboration, which is that you don't go in and do more than you get out of it. You know, that there really has to be this sense of I'm contributing, but I'm also receiving something back out of this bringing together people. Yeah. You have to learn as much as you give. Right. And today we're going to get the opportunity to talk to Emily Glazer, who is a design researcher over at Control Group. And Control Group works with other healthcare companies to design and ideate for for patients. And they've done a really amazing job at, at building collaborations, both with patients, such as, you know, people who suffer from dementia, um, and looking at different ways to co-design, collaborate. She's got this project on citizen science, which I think is super interesting. Should we call Emily? Yeah, let's call her. Well, I'm really excited to hear what Emily has to say about yeah. it. First of all, she's British, so she might say it in a very doesn't matter what she's going to say. Way. It's going to sound smart. Yeah. She's, she's... <laughs> hey. Hi. Hello. Can you hear us okay? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We're so excited to talk to you. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me and to put on my best radio voice. Yeah. <laughs> we actually picked you because you have a fantastic voice. Oh, stop it. <laughs> well, we, we really wanted just a, a, someone with a British accent so that we could sound sophisticated. <laughs> it's going to make us sound I know, really dumb. No, no, no. It, it elevates us. <laughs> 
People... I think it'll make you sound really cool and me sound really serious. <laughs> <laughs> and can you describe Control Group in one sentence? So Control Group is a healthcare design company who work internationally with healthcare companies. Uh to create personalized healthcare experiences for everyone. So, Emily, we're talking about collaboration, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we just had a really good conversation with you when you were in New York last. And it was really great to just talk about how you're collaborating within Control Group. We just wanted to get your thoughts on what makes a good collaboration. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so we at Control Group um, collaborate with a whole range of different partners and organizations and communities. But I think there are a few things that we do to make sure that the collaborations are very um, collaborative and where there's a kind of shared language between everyone who, who takes part. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we do um, is we do a lot of prototyping, whether it's with partners or clients or community groups who we're doing research with, we always bring into those discussions or encounters something with us that represents the core of what the conversation is focused on. So it might be a system diagram or it could be a model or it could be a um, working app um, even. And those support us in kind of guiding those conversations and therefore being able to collaborate together with those different groups or individuals to have a really shared language and understanding of what we're working towards. That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because I think that one of the things that we like to talk about with collaboration is that you need to bring different schools of thought to the table in order to make it a really robust collaboration, right? You know, how do you guys manage that? If, for example, you bring a prototype to the table and you're working with people who don't know what a prototype is? I think we always think really clearly about how we introduce what the prototype is and what it aims to achieve. For example, in a project that we were working on called Dementia Citizens, where we were building a platform to connect people living with dementia with um, dementia researchers in order to improve research around dementia care. The word prototype is quite a new one, so I don't know how many 80-year-olds know what a prototype means, and often actually they they didn't, so we had to explain it in really, really clear terminology um, at the start. And also because of the the condition that is dementia, um, explaining up front the purpose of a prototype and what it will achieve is something that has to sort of be reiterated across that conversation. But I think something that we have found is that people tend to respond really well to something that's visual, no matter who you're working with. As soon as you visualize something, it sort of brings people around to that shared object or subject um, to talk about. What's so interesting is that a lot of people go into collaboration and imagine that it's just a bunch of different people from different backgrounds in a room talking and sharing ideas. What struck me as we started thinking about collaboration is the structure is really important. Otherwise, it's very hard to come out with anything. Um, and yeah. I, what I like what about what you're describing is that you guys have come up with a lot of different mechanisms for making sure that that shared goal is clearly articulated and that um, you have a thing that the conversation revolves around to keep that structure 
in place. Yeah, I think that the romantic vision, right, is that it's spontaneous and impromptu. And ideas are just kind of like... Right, flow. But there's a certain curation that's required in order to do that. What can be really frustrating for people with collaboration is to feel like you've just devoted a bunch of time and you're not quite sure what came out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, that just brings to mind something funny, which is that a BBC journalist came to visit our studios uh, about a year or so ago, and he saw all of these post-its on the wall. And he was like, oh, I love it. It's the California method. <laughs> <laughs> that, for me, kind of encapsulated that um, sort of romanticization of totally. that process. If you don't have a photo with you, your face really close to post-its, then it's not, yeah. you're not collaborating. <laughs> yeah. Or two people it around. Oh, right. Somebody's going to be pointing. The, yes. <laughs> and there has to be more than at least three colors. Exactly. I think that those are the rules. What role would you say you take when you're in a collaboration? I think as a design researcher, my role often in conversations is to guide a discussion, um, but also to listen and to a certain extent to negotiate between the different perspectives. So it's it's a bit of a kind of a bit of a dance and a bit of a fine balance. But I think collaboration, it can also mean co-design or participatory design and in that case um, it is super important to listen but in order to be listening to the kind of thing that is the most optimum for the conversation I think it's really important to set those right questions and frame them in the right way so I think that's something that I've sort of been learning and training to do with control group. It's a skill right I mean it's not easy to do that to um, synthesize the conversations, ensure that the voices that were in the room are represented in that synthesis, all of that stuff. Um, Emily, I wanted to ask you, I'm wondering how much of that is your personality and how much is that is the role of design researcher? Mm. Um, hmm. They're kind of intertwined, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, people who might be attracted to the kind of role of design research might tend to be people who quite enjoy being in that position of being the negotiator or being the listener um, or being the, the the kind of the guide throughout this process. And, and I suppose I've always been in positions where I've been exposed to people from different backgrounds and different languages even. So I've always just naturally had to negotiate between those different um, groups. But I think that's why I love doing what I do because as a design researcher, you're constantly put within the middle of that quite complex matrix of different partners or groups or perspectives. Um, And you have to both take them on board and give them the chance to have a voice and a platform, but also understand and interpret them and understand what the implications are and translate that to the design and development team who you're working with. Another thing that we were talking about before is Mm -hmm. the kind of makeup of a, a good collaboration you can't have too many negotiators, right? Because then yeah. everybody's just negotiating. negotiating. <laughs> or um, listening. That's or, one or of my listening. pet peeves is like how trying to get people to participate. Like the provocateur, you know, the person who's going to make people feel a little a little uncomfortable, push them yeah. to, to think a little bit harder. I like to kind of provoke and say 
off-the-wall thing sometimes. <laughs> and I bring that to collaboration. And You also bring your poker face. I also bring my... Yeah. Which I think well, is a part of the provocation that you bring to... That's my brand. My brand. <laughs> is your face? Yeah, my brand yeah, is my face. That's true. You have that face that people are like, Tina, what's wrong? Do You, you don't agree, Tina. It's... Is a diagnosed condition called RBF, which RBF. is resting bitch face. And I... I'm sorry. I know. I've been diagnosed with it since I was very young. <laughs> you know, we've worked hard, my face and I. So, um, and I think that sometimes it's nice to have somebody who, not necessarily a naysayer, but somebody who's going to consistently mm-hmm. play the other side of the coin Emily, is there anybody else that you would think needs to be a part of a group or is helpful in a collaboration? Yeah, I think the naysayer is definitely um, a critical and helpful and sometimes um, quite scary person to have around. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, I think a synthesizer. Yeah is valuable. Who pulls it together? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing is that we try to do in in group meetings is have a note taker. And a note taker sounds like a menial role, but it's really hard to take notes when there's eight people talking because it requires a certain amount of synthesis, right? I'm always the note taker. I know because your handwriting's really good. That's why. Yeah. So we need to elevate the importance of the note. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, That's a good point. One of the biggest things with somebody who's taking notes is they really have to understand the full ins and outs of the project or the or the goal at hand yeah. because if you don't you don't know what the key points yeah, are right. only a person that really is well versed and understands the dynamics can take notes yeah people think that taking notes just means that you're the intern that takes notes. <laughs> but when you're doing notes... You're also the genius. Yeah. People who can do that tend to be able to take a, a sentiment or a general theme and be able to bubble that up from a whole bunch of conversations and then write that down. And I think that that kind of synthesis is also really important. And I think I think also a decision maker. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a tricky one because um, depending on the nature of the the project um, and the people involved, sometimes the decisions that are made might be shared across a group. But often that can also lead to dissolving the responsibility and decisions not being made. But yeah. decisions are really really important in order to move forward that conversation and progress with that collaboration. And sometimes the decision maker can't be the negotiator and it can't be the naysayer because those rules have specific weight and meaning associated with them. Can you give an example of a good collaboration? A good collaboration involves people or groups from very different perspectives because it's when those perspectives clash that really interesting Um, outcomes can evolve from them but when there's also a respect for those different points of view and an understanding of where they add to that collaboration when you achieve something that manages to capture that all 
Um, so both the, the the perspectives and the ideas, but also the unexpected. That's when there's sort of been a bit of an evolution and an invention from what's emerged. I suppose just to make it concrete, um, from the example of dementia citizens that I mentioned before, the, the brief initially was to develop an answer for what citizen science was for the context of dementia care. And that could have been a whole number of different things, but it had to be something that brought together the, the, the kind of the wishes and the experiences of the people with dementia and their carers, but also uh, those of the academic researchers who would be taking part and running research projects within that. They each had perhaps a little bit um, of their own independent ideas of what a citizen science platform for dementia might be and what it should achieve, which is completely understandable because they're coming from their own perspective and their mm -hmm. own experiences. We worked really closely with both the dementia community but also the academic partners in order to develop two launch apps as part of the citizen science platform that would be able to both do research in a way that was clinically or scientifically valid, um, and that would satisfy the needs of the academic researchers, but also that we were creating an, an app and an experience that people with dementia and their carers would want to use and would find delight and joy yeah. in using every day. And so those are two things that might seemingly clash, but what emerged was as a result of very, very, very close conversations and co-design um, processes with those groups. and a process for um, for doing research in dementia on a iPad or on an iPhone that is I think a little bit new and, and perhaps a little bit surprising to uh, perhaps someone who's never come to that kind of way of doing research so that's just a bit of an example yeah I like this idea of surprise Mm. really thought about that or the unexpected coming out you know when you collaborate you want to get to a new place and you know setting it up in the right way that you're going to get to a different point what do you think is the one thing that makes it work I mean is it empathy empathy is definitely a starting point but I, I think what's interesting with empathy is that there's been some criticism around that as a concept because to a certain extent it allows the empathizer to still remain where they are perhaps and there's there's sort of an element of it that's slightly passive and mm -hmm. I've read about how actually compassion as a term is perhaps mm -hmm. a bit more active to a certain extent in that in this context of collaboration empathy isn't enough I think it has to be this this willingness and this desire to to be active in response to it and within that I think there has to be a certain amount of maybe um, humbleness because sometimes that means having to shift your perspective perhaps or having to appreciate where maybe you might be wrong does that does that chime with your experience yeah and I think that that's what we wanted to get to because if, for example, we determine that empathy plus compassion plus humility <laughs> equals mm -hmm. a good collaborator, then I feel like we have metrics to consider every time we go into a collaboration. Are they a good empathizer? Do they also have compassion for that? And are, are they willing to be humble? Because we always think about, oh, well, do their skill sets help 
round out hours, right? Because you want collaborators that help to fill gaps or that will bring different perspectives to the table. But then we don't really think about whether or not they have those those three components or those three criteria. I was speaking with a, a, a colleague who works at another um, similar company the other day, and she was saying that in her organization, um, they have uh, coaches who are part of every single um, project team. So not just a designer and a developer and a researcher, for example, as the core, but also a coach. And the coach will provide that role of ensuring that those different individuals in the team are fulfilling what their responsibilities are, but also that they're working together in a way that is smooth and um, empathic and and collaborative, I suppose. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what that's like because my my gut reaction to that is oh I wonder how annoying that person is <laughs> but you know I wonder because what I imagine when that happens is you say something and then that person says something like so Tina why did you say that why do you feel that way like you know but I'm hoping that it's not that was that. like a therapist voice <laughs> yeah I was imagining a person with a whistle and being like, <laughs> like come on yeah. Anyway, we do want to say thank you for joining us, Emily. I know that we um, we don't get to see each other very often. I know, so. but we'll have to collaborate. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again for having me. It's a real honor and a pleasure to be here and to chat to you. It's always really lovely to talk about everything um, from collaboration to beyond. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to we'll you talk soon. soon. Yeah. Talk Bye. Soon. Bye. I think it was a good discussion about collaboration. I've been really like, you know, wondering about this in our, our daily work and it gets thrown around so much. Yeah, and it, it's not going away, right? Especially in the world of healthcare, it's going to require a lot of people who have really different backgrounds and expertise. Too big. Right, to come together um, because the problem is just too big. Yeah. What have you learned about collaboration? We've been collaborating for a long, long, long time. I was actually looking up the history of collaboration, and there's this Darwin quote that, so, which means that collaboration kind of goes back really far. Like collaborating with um, species? Yeah, well, he says, you know, in a long history of humankind and animal kind, because I think that that's probably more what he was talking about. Those who learn to collaborate and improvise most effectively have prevailed. And it's interesting because I, I think about when we're in school, we do a lot of individual work, right? Like that's how we kind of grow up. And more and more there's people that are requiring group projects because they're trying to train and teach and, you know, get people to be collaborative. Part of it is pers- uh, people's personalities. Yeah. And it's not just what your skill set is or what your job is or what your role is. But a lot of it is just the way that people's personalities are, right? Sometimes people go into a collaboration and I think that they don't necessarily set goals for themselves about what they want to achieve out of that collaboration outside of just achieving the goal that's at hand. But, you know, you should personally get things out of collaboration as well, right? And right. I think it's really important for you to set up 
uh, goals of what you want to achieve out of that thing. One of my favorite collaborations, Black Mountain College, where Buckminster Fuller was and Ruth Asawa was there and John Cage. Where is Black Mountain? North Carolina. It's in North Carolina, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. They were from diverse backgrounds, different artists, musicians, dancers, um, and they were there to do their own work, but also to really explore what it meant to collaborate. Yeah. And, um, you know, became a framework for education, looking at how collaboration could be a productive use of time rather yeah. than just in being an independent yeah. thinker. You also have to remember that in collaboration there are different roles, and this was what the discussion was about, right, is that there has to be decision makers in collaboration, and there has to be... Um, Le- uh, sometimes there needs to be a leader. Right. There needs to be people who are going to um, challenge people. There there needs to be people who are going to be the, the responsible for the making of things, right? The makers. Yeah, the makers are really important, and I think that... There's got to be people who are going to be the documentarians of, of a collaboration. Right. Synthesizer. Right. I think that there are times where you need to collaborate with your peers that are exactly like you so that those times, I think, are good for ideation, building up a lot of ideas, right? But then there are times where you need to collaborate with people who can make decisions. Right. And those are all different types of collaborations. Right. The advice that comes out of this is you, as a collaborator, come in with your own skill set, right? You might have an area of expertise like an engineer or a designer or a doctor, and you're contributing your point of view. But you also have a responsibility to figure out what your role is in the collaboration, which is the maker, the note taker, the questioner, the provocateur. You've got to be aware of both roles. All roles. All roles. Yeah. It's important to also just remember that there are a lot of things about collaboration that are curated and carefully coordinated. And then there are things about collaboration that need to be improvised and kind of left for a surprise. And all of those ingredients are really important. Yeah. One of my favorite collaborations, well, the one that I like to fantasize about in my head was Xerox Park. Oh, yeah. And Xerox Park, when they brought together a team to really think about new ideas. They were also, you know, they were trying to think of diverse backgrounds, people who were thinkers, but makers, and um, and bring them together. And I think that that kind of really was the start of these think tanks or innovation groups. In my mind, Xerox Park, and I've talked to a couple of people who were there at the time, but it seemed like such a safe environment to bring in your idiosyncrasies and your weirdo tendencies, and they fostered that a little bit. And we don't get that enough anymore. Um, We don't get time to just kind of be weird and let ourselves like let loose of kind of the inhibitions that we have due to being in in an office environment or in a work environment. Yeah. I used, I love our department chair of our graduate school at um, Art Center, Brenda Laurel, um, who did a lot on theater. I mean, at the time, 
It's painful. Her, that's what her PhD was. Right. It's it was painful to do that much performance in when we were doing graduate for you. design. Did you like it? I liked the improvisation. Yeah. But it is true. It's like those skills of thinking about design research and thinking about collaboration as a performance. Right. You know, that, that it does need to be curated and set up and you need to create kind of a stage and maybe props. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it. That's so smart of her. Yeah. Brenda's pretty much a genius. You know, sometimes when you come out of something and you're kind of like, why was I there? What was the purpose of that? And then after that, there's an amazing synthesizer that then shares out what was done and you're pleasantly surprised by yeah. that experience. You're like, oh, wow. Like, right. I didn't know that was happening. Right. Like <laughs> That reveal is really special yeah. and it feels amazing. By seeing it played back in a in an interesting way. I was That's I was, a good takeaway. Yeah. To make sure that you you kinda come out and recap and Yeah. Out of a collaboration. Out of a collaboration. It's reflection time. Okay. No. I'm saying that it's called reflection <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, oh, I like reflection time. I was ready to go there with you. Um, actually, I just wanted to like... That sounded like a Mr. Have a <laughs> Mr. Rogers neighborhood. It's reflection time, Mia. What did you learn today? I just wanted to go to that dreamy place. Um, well, now I forgot what I was going to say. Forget it. Okay, let's close out. In a couple of weeks... I feel better. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening you, you and I are you and I are having our own conversations. We're not collaborating very well right it's now. Terrible. Okay. Sorry. Yano can be found on the interwebs. And Yano, Instagram. At yanopodcast.com or username is yanopodcast. Yano was produced by Sean Nazari. And recorded at Figure 8 Studios in BK. Also known as Figure 8 Studios. With, I was trying to say it like a British person. <laughs> this is a really bad accent. Figure. Figure. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was recorded by MPC. The notorious MPC. Michael P. Coleman. And music was written, performed by Chess Smith. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I feel better. Consider subscribing to our podcast. <laughs> this is you gonna. Don't, this you is don't gonna, care that I feel is, better. This is gonna be the most cut up podcast ever. Stop <laughs> saying that you feel better. I don't understand I'm what you're trying want. to close the loop. What do you want me to say? Bye. Bye. <laughs>